Hearing loss affects millions, ranging from something that can create inconvenience to isolation. Hearing loss doesn't just impact people from the hearing perspective. It's one of our critical senses, and so if we don't have that sense, that can really impact how we move throughout our day. But there are devices that can successfully restore hearing. There are many options today that can help with hearing loss, including devices that can help for specific situations someone might be having difficulty hearing. And later, discover how we may already have a tool for better hearing right in our hands. This is creating something that will go right into the hands of our patients and help them. There is something you can do for your hearing loss. Hopefully this can help people see that. Listen and learn all about hearing loss inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freighter's Hospital, Versity, Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Helen Keller once said, Lack of sight separates us from things, but lack of hearing separates us from people. Sadly, there are millions of Americans suffering from some form of hearing loss. Even on the mild end of the spectrum, it can lead to significant inconvenience. On the severe end, isolation. What causes hearing loss and what can be done for those affected by it? Dr. Christina Rungi is a professor of otolaryngology at the Medical College of Wisconsin and a licensed audiologist practicing in the field for over 25 years. We spoke with her recently to learn about hearing loss, and she began by sharing just how common hearing loss is. Hearing loss is one of, if not the most common disability. It affects 48 million Americans, and in fact, half a million people in Wisconsin have some form of debilitating hearing loss. So it's a very widespread problem, and we're anticipating that that will increase as our population ages as well. And while there is a difference between commonly used terms such as hearing loss or deafness, These terms are commonly used interchangeably, and they technically aren't interchangeable. But, you know, it really is up to the person experiencing difficulty hearing. There's really no point in getting too hung up on semantics, because... If you come in and you seek help for your hearing, however you describe it, we can sort out what the issue is and we can measure how serious it is. So we don't really get hung up on the exact terminology, because it can mean different things to different people. Can anyone of any age suffer from hearing loss? Yes. There are children who are born with hearing loss, for example, and then there are people who acquire hearing loss as they age. So, yeah, you can have hearing loss really at any time. But these days, there's one age demographic that's increasingly at risk 
for hearing loss. We are seeing more teenagers coming in with permanent hearing loss from listening to their devices with headphones on too loud and for too many hours. So right now, that's a demographic that's coming in with noise exposure, hearing loss. Hear that, kids? It's not just your parents. Take it from an expert. Turn the volume down. So what are common causes of hearing loss, in addition to being part of the natural aging process? There are some common genetic causes of hearing loss. Children who might be born with a certain genetic makeup. There are also genetic causes that underlie age-related hearing loss or make you susceptible to noise-induced hearing loss. In fact, this is an area of recent discoveries in hearing loss research. We're learning more and more about that every day, and it's actually a very exciting part of our field. We have a few hundred genes known to be associated with hearing loss, and so we can do that testing and follow people and make sure that we're providing them the best hearing care based on their genetics. There are also diseases that can cause hearing loss. Different bacterial or viral infections that people can get. Meningitis is one that can end up causing hearing loss. And also maternal rubella. If you're pregnant and you get exposed, then that can actually affect the baby's hearing. Then there are environmental causes or lifestyle choices that increase risk for hearing loss. Especially when we talk about noise exposure. That is something that we have a lot of mechanisms to prevent. For example, not listening to music too loud. You should wear earplugs or noise-canceling headphones if you're around loud noises for any length of time. And Dr. Rungi tells us it's critical to protect your hearing from noise exposure. Because once you lose your hearing in this way from noise damage, you can't get your normal hearing back. It's permanent at this point. So we want to make sure you're preventing that. In addition to different causes, there's different types of hearing loss based on what part of the ear is affected. For example, there's conductive hearing loss. We have the external ear or the ear canal, the middle ear, the tympanic membrane, and then the bones of the middle ear in this middle ear space, which is an air-filled cavity. Anything that impacts hearing in this external part or in the middle ear is what we refer to as conductive. What's an example of conductive hearing loss? An ear infection or fluid behind the tympanic membrane or behind the eardrum that fills that air-filled space can keep the eardrum from moving. That would be considered conductive loss. It's stopping the sound conduction from going to stimulate the inner ear. Even something as simple as earwax impaction in the ear canal, keeping the sound from propagating down the ear and blocking the sound, that would be considered a conductive loss. Next, there's what's known as sensory neural hearing loss. The sensory neural hearing loss is what we refer to when it impacts the inner ear. On the other side of the middle ear, so you have the bones of the middle ear, the hammer, anvil, and stirrup, or the malleus, incus, and stapes. And the stapes footplate connects to the inner ear, which is the snail-shaped, bony compartment that has fluid in it and has cells of the inner ear. That's where sensory neural hearing loss is rooted. If anything is affecting the inner ear, either the cells in the ear or the blood supply to the inner ear or the hearing nerve, then that is what we refer to as sensory neural hearing loss. And finally, there's mixed hearing loss, which is, well, just like it sounds. Mixed hearing loss would be a combination of conductive and sensory neural. So, for example, if you have damage to the cells of the inner ear causing sensory neural hearing loss, but you also have fluid in the middle ear that is exacerbating that, so you'll have a lot more hearing loss, but it's because of the two combined, and that would be a mixed loss. 
Is one type of hearing loss more common than the other types? It depends on the population. For example, in children, conductive hearing loss is more common because there are so many different things that can be going on with the middle ear space. But sensory neural hearing loss would be probably the most common hearing loss in adults. Dr. Rungi says determining the type and cause of hearing loss can be challenging, but it's a challenge she welcomes. It's sort of a mixed bag, and that's what makes our jobs really fun, right? So you come in, and then we get to figure out what it is that's causing it and what we can do about it. What is happening physically when we suffer hearing loss? Dr. Rungi gives an example of sensory neural loss. In sensory neural hearing loss, let's use noise exposure as an example. The inner ear has a lot of different parts. The cells and the membranes, they move and they vibrate and they encode the sound that way. So when the sound comes down and stimulates the ear, it vibrates and it sends that information to the brain. But over time, and with repeated noise exposure, cells can be damaged. And so when the cells start having different levels of damage, they don't move as well. And so they can't send the signal to the brain as well. So that is what can happen when we get overexposure of the cell structures of the inner ear with a lot of sound or a lot of excessive noise. What are common signs of hearing loss, especially for someone who may not realize they have it? People seek help in our clinic and say, you know, I can hear, but I can't understand. Or I hear one-on-one with people, but I can't hear in background noise. If you start thinking, gosh, you know, it sounds like people are mumbling. It might not be everybody else. It might be that you have some hearing loss. And it's before you would really recognize it. Which means it can be undetected for some time before it's diagnosed. People come in when they notice it's affecting their lifestyle. For example, they might start avoiding social situations that they previously enjoyed just because they aren't able to experience them the way they used to because the background noise is just too much. And usually it's been going on for quite some time by the time they come see us. How is hearing loss diagnosed? To diagnose and measure the amount of hearing loss, we play pure tone pitches from low pitch to high pitch, and we present those at different levels. We'll present them at very soft levels, and if you can't hear it, we'll make it a little bit louder until you can detect it. Once you detect it, then we make it softer again, and we just go back and forth at these different levels to see what is the softest sound you can detect. And we do that for each pitch. Once she has that information, a diagnosis can be made. A common type of sensory neural hearing loss might be a high-frequency sloping hearing loss. So that's where someone can detect very soft sounds at low pitches. Then as we get to the higher pitches, the sounds need to be louder and louder for them to even be able to detect it. So that would indicate there's some loss at the higher pitches. There are many different treatments for hearing loss, including surgeries. Some of the surgeries that we do would be for conductive hearing loss. So, for example, surgeries we do to put in tubes in the tympanic membrane that then allows fluid that's behind the eardrum to be released. So there are lots of different types of surgeries we can do for hearing loss, again, particularly when it's conductive. There are also devices. We'll discover those later, including an innovative sound amplification app. Yes, that is something we are working on, and I can certainly share more about that in a little bit. Ahead of that, Dr. Rungi says that while some forms of hearing loss can't be reversed, there's ongoing research. Yeah, sensory neural hearing loss is not reversible. It's permanent at this point. Currently, though, we are in clinical trials for drugs that can be applied to the inner ear that might regenerate hair cells and regenerate some of the cells in the inner ear and then hopefully restore hearing to more of a natural state. Hmm. Sounds like a perfect topic for a future show. 
In fact, Dr. Rungi says there are other hearing-related disorders we can focus on as well, especially... Tinnitus, the ringing in the ears, ringing or chirping or different sounds that aren't coming from the environment. Tinnitus is a real problem for so many people. We can talk a long time about tinnitus and how it affects people, and I'm happy to do that too. Dr. Rungi says hearing loss is serious because... Hearing loss doesn't just impact people from the hearing perspective. It can really impact people's quality of life. For that reason, it can cause depression, social isolation, and anxiety. It's one of our critical senses, and so if we don't have that sense, that can really impact how we move throughout our day. And it can be difficult for family and friends of someone with hearing loss. It can be very frustrating trying to communicate with someone who has hearing loss. A lot of times the person with hearing loss doesn't really recognize they have it, but it's their significant other who brings them in and says, you have to get help for this because it's affecting both of us. So if you or someone you love may be suffering from hearing loss... Seek out a hearing professional, an otolaryngologist or an audiologist. You can get your hearing tested and then you can find out what is the status of your hearing and what are the types of things you can do to address it and really have a good quality of life. Because having hearing loss doesn't have to be an obstacle. Instead, make it an opportunity. Come in, get checked, and find out what we can do about it. There's so many different opportunities. It doesn't have to frustrate you or the people you love. People who have hearing loss don't have to suffer with that. There's something that we can do. That's what we strive to do every day. Now that we have better understanding of some types, causes, and treatments, next, let's discover some of the specific devices used to address hearing loss. Dr. Kristen Kozlowski is a licensed audiologist at Freydert and the Medical College of Wisconsin who sees exactly how debilitating and life-impacting hearing loss can be for patients. Hearing loss can have a profound effect on a person's quality of life beyond even asking for repetition. Hearing loss can have a negative effect on self-esteem, relationships with friends and family, and it can lead to social withdrawal. People often have to work harder to understand and fill in what they're missing in conversations, which can be quite exhausting. And people can lose enjoyment in the things they once found enjoyable, such as watching TV or listening to music. The good news is, for the majority of the patients she sees, there's a viable device that can improve hearing loss and restore lost quality of life. There are many options today that can help with hearing loss, including hearing aids, cochlear implants, and even assistive devices that can help for specific situations someone might be having difficulty hearing. Dr. Kozlowski shares her expert insights about device options, beginning with hearing aids. Hearing aids are great options when a person's beginning to notice difficulty with communication, hearing the television, or beginning to avoid situations for fear of missing out or saying the wrong thing. Oftentimes, what people will say when they're first experiencing hearing loss is maybe they can hear people, but they can't necessarily understand people or people sound like they're mumbling. And that's a great time to start seeing if hearing aids can help. Who prescribes hearing aids? And what kind of evaluation is done to determine if they're a good option for a specific patient? An audiologist is someone that has a master's or clinical doctorate in audiology who can help evaluate and treat hearing loss. Typically, the first step would be to reach out for a hearing test. The hearing test for most adults includes frequency-specific testing, which is just raising your hand when you hear a beep, as well as some word repetition tasks. 
the audiologist can help you understand your results and treatment options, as well as determine whether you should follow up with a physician regarding the hearing loss symptoms. In cases when hearing aids are recommended, you'll have a hearing aid evaluation appointment to discuss the different types and styles of hearing aids and to determine what's going to work best for your lifestyle. And because they're worn by patients of all ages, hearing aids come in many shapes, sizes, and colors and are worn by both adults and children with hearing loss. What are the different components of a hearing aid? Dr. Kozlowski explains it's a device which is going to pick up sound through a microphone and amplify it in areas where your hearing might be deficient. They can be worn completely in your ear or with the main component behind your ear and then a tube connected to a piece that's going to go inside your ear. So with a hearing aid, there's a component that's going to go inside your ear for sure and then sometimes there is a piece that's behind your ear as well. How does a hearing aid interact with the ear to improve a patient's hearing? These days, digital hearing aids are analyzing your surroundings and making adjustments to help you hear better. So they're going to include things like background noise reduction and technology to help keep very loud sounds in a comfortable range for you. They're meant to provide amplification just in those frequencies or pitches where you need it. Customizable to meet the specific needs of the individual patient. Not everyone needs sound to be louder. In some cases, a bit of high-frequency amplification, where the consonant sounds are, can help make sound clearer, not necessarily louder for the person. Plus, there's another important feature of hearing aids. Hearing aids are removable. You take them off when you go to sleep or when you go swimming or take a shower. You take them off, but consistent daily use, wearing them all day, every day, is going to provide you with the most benefit. But for all the benefits hearing aids can offer many patients... Hearing aids have an adjustment period. People sometimes forget what a noisy world it is. So it can take a little while to reacclimate to some of those environmental sounds. Hearing and background noise can still be difficult for people depending on the level of the background noise. Dr. Kozlowski says in assessing a patient's hearing loss, there are also cases when hearing aids may not be the answer. Hearing aids won't help with the things that people who have normal hearing struggle to hear also. Things like talking from room to room or trying to hear when the speaker is not facing you. Many people with hearing loss and even with normal hearing struggle more with communication when you can't see the face of the person that's talking. There are also cases where amplifying sound just makes everything louder and not necessarily clearer. And so, when someone still has difficulty understanding words and sentences with hearing aids, a cochlear implant may be a better option for them. I've heard of cochlear implants. You probably have too. A cochlear implant is a great option for people who have tried hearing aids but still have difficulty understanding what people are saying. This may indicate that the hearing aid isn't able to provide the benefit or the clarity you need, and we need to work on providing that a different way. That different way is often cochlear implants. An audiologist may recognize that a cochlear implant evaluation would be beneficial based on your hearing test and recommend a referral. If someone has tried hearing aids and has not found them to be beneficial, they can always request an evaluation for a cochlear implant themselves by contacting our cochlear implant program, even if they haven't been referred by a provider. Next, Dr. Kozlowski explains what the implant is 
and how it works. There are two parts. There's an internal part and an external portion. The internal portion is placed during a surgery, which consists of a receiver stimulator, a magnet, and an electrode array. The surgeon places that electrode array inside the person's cochlea, which is located in the inner ear. A few weeks after the implant surgery, the patient receives the external device. The external device is going to pick up the sound, convert the speech signal, and transmit that signal to the internal device. From there, the signal travels down the electrode array and little electrical pulses are generated. We're going to stimulate the hearing nerve electrically. And because it's stimulating the hearing nerve electrically versus acoustically, like a hearing aid, speech and other sounds may sound different to the user. We see improvement in understanding over the first one to two years. Some oral rehabilitation, which is like physical therapy for your ears, often helps the user's understanding improve faster. In some cases, adult patients will have a cochlear implant in one ear and wear a hearing aid in the other. This gives the user clarity from the cochlear implant, while the hearing aid in the opposite ear provides naturalness of sound and the user's brain puts it all together nicely. But cochlear implant patients can also continue to have challenges. Background noise may continue to be difficult. Many cochlear implant users are able to successfully use the telephone, while some continue to struggle without seeing someone's face. That can still be difficult. There are also what are known as bone-anchored hearing systems. She explains what these are. Bone-anchored hearing systems are a different way of delivering the sound signal. They use vibrations over the skull bone. They are for specific types of hearing loss, namely conductive or mixed hearing loss, or something called single-sided deafness, which is normal hearing in one ear and a profound hearing loss in the opposite ear. Often, candidates for bone-anchored hearing systems have a history of other middle ear issues, such as previous ear surgeries or chronic drainage or infection from the ear, where traditional hearing aid is not medically a good option. Is a bone-anchored hearing system more similar to a hearing aid or a cochlear implant? Bone-anchored hearing systems are more similar to a hearing aid and often used when hearing aids can't be worn due to a medical issue such as chronic drainage or infection, or maybe someone doesn't have an ear canal. It's used when a person should not have anything in their ear, which is required for a hearing aid. Whether hearing aids, cochlear implants, or another assistive listening device, how has Dr. Kozlowski seen these improve a patient's quality of life by improving their ability to hear? I've seen people who have been able to communicate with grandchildren again, who can go and enjoy the movies, who can be more socially active, and it can have a profound impact on someone's quality of life, no matter what age they are. And for anyone suffering with hearing loss... I would strongly encourage anyone who's struggling to communicate or beginning to withdraw socially due to their hearing loss to contact a local audiologist or speak with your physician about your hearing difficulties. People of all ages have had difficulty communicating and have experienced life-changing benefits of being able to hear and communicate again with the use of some sort of amplification or assistive device. In addition to the devices we've just learned about, there are other assistive listening devices, including one that's in clinical trial, created by Dr. Christina Rungi, who's back and excited to tell us more about it. It's a sound amplification app. 
and Dr. Rungi first shares a general overview of the app she's developed. The personal sound amplification app that we have developed, you download like you do all your other apps, and then your phone acts as an amplifier. The phone will take the sound in for the amplification, and then you have your headphones plugged in to your smartphone, and then that is what you hear through your headphones. So it's using your smartphone as an amplifier. What's the backstory on how the need for the app was identified? We'll have patients come in saying, I'm having trouble hearing in some listening situations, but not all. And those aren't really traditional hearing aid candidates. The troubles people are having aren't severe enough to really warrant spending thousands of dollars on a set of hearing aids. Instead, her focus turned to a device most of us already hold in our hands on a daily basis. Well, people have their smartphones with them all the time. Over 77% of adults in the United States have a smartphone. We're carrying them around all the time. And if they just need it in certain situations, you can maybe pop your earbuds in and then turn the amplifier on and just use that as an amplifier as needed. That could impact a lot of people. And impact them in more ways than one. You know, some of the technologies, hearing aids, for example, can be very expensive. And so we wanted to make this an affordable way for people to be able to get amplification if they needed it. And there's a very high percentage of the population with smartphones who might not otherwise be able to afford hearing aids or other technologies. So all you need is a smartphone and headphones, which you probably already have. You don't have to buy any other equipment. It's just designed so people don't need to buy anything else. Dr. Rungi says this is a collaborative effort she started with her longtime colleague. His name is Dr. Yi Hu, and he's in the computer science department at UWM. We've developed a lot of different technologies for over 10 years, and then we decided to start a company together and develop our own technology that patients would need. And not just need, but want. This isn't some cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all app. It's designed to be customized to what your amplification needs would be. We have an algorithm that is the initial starting point of amplification. From that, there's a prescriptive gain so that you can optimize the sound quality. And then you can ultimately end up with something that amplifies for you appropriately, but then also sounds really good. Because the point of the app is to use the app. This app should allow you to get the optimal sound quality because then you're also more likely to use it. And that's what we want when we have amplification for people. We want them to also like the sound so that they'll actually use it. Is the app designed for people with a specific type or level of hearing loss? It's designed for anyone who is having trouble hearing in daily listening situations. It's not really designed for people who are traditional hearing aid candidates with very severe to profound hearing loss, but it can certainly provide amplification across a wide range of different levels of hearing loss. Where exactly is the app in its development today? Great timing for you to ask me that. We actually just finished collecting our data, so we have finalized the clinical trial for the phase one, which is a feasibility phase. In that clinical trial, we tested people's ability to understand speech and background noise and the amount of amplification that they were able to get with the device. Has it proven to be effective thus far? Yes, we found that almost all of the subjects were able to get significant benefit from using the app. So, so far, all the results look very positive on people being able to benefit from this technology. What's next for its development? We need to finalize the app functionality, and then also we want to put a nice and user-friendly interface on it. So that's what we're going to do next and get it ready to put on the market. How soon might the app become available to the general public? What 
love is if it would be available to the general public a year from now or by 2023. But we do want to make sure we're getting it out there and into people's hands because we really do think it can help a lot of people. One thing the app still needs before coming to market, a catchy name. Is called Ascending Hearing Technologies or AHT, and so for now we're calling it the AHT app. If anyone has any ideas, that would be great. She's all ears. And regardless of its name, she's excited about its potential future impact. This is creating something that will go right into the hands of our patients and help them. It might not be everything that you would need, but there is something you can do for your hearing loss. Hopefully, this app can help people see that. Hear that? That means we're all out of time for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to today's guests, Dr. Christina Rungi and Dr. Kristen Kozlowski. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month, so make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.